0: This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL
1: Hafta. Angres apna Lagan or News Laundry, apna hafta kabhi chhorte. Welcome to the 430th episode of NL Hafta. Uh, we bring you this hafta on a very news-packed week. There was so much news, we really had to tone down the amount of headlines we had. Before we get on with the headlines, I just want to announce, which you may already have read by now, that the News Minute and News Laundry have entered into a a partnership, an agreement, a collaboration, call it what you will. But the idea is to maximize each other's strengths, uh, to kind of become a force multiplier and to leverage the two brands and the wonderful teams both of us have into a bigger and better news entity. That's the plan. So I hope you will continue to support us. Those of you who have been subscribing to News Laundry, remember now we have another partner and... In the near future, we'll also be launching a joint subscription. So do check out the News Minute as well and see the wonderful reporting they do. And look out for some new shows on that platform, video and audio. Uh, secondly, uh, I will be traveling to London. So just like we had a wonderful subscriber meet in Michigan, we'll be planning one in London. If you want to attend the subscriber meet, please write to us at subscription at I repeat, subscription at newslawny.com and why i insist you write is because we felt really bad because these western countries are very strict about the table capacity so because we had almost eight to ten more people who showed up at the michigan event than who had confirmed uh we could not accommodate at the same table and actually two of them had to go back because the restaurant said that if we overstep our capacity our license can be cancelled and apparently they're it's very strict. It's not like your uncle adjusts. <laughs> so please do write to us subscription at newslawny.com. The subscriber meet will be on the 13th of May. It's a Saturday. The exact time will be communicated to you once you have confirmed your attendance. On that note, let me introduce the panel first before I get to the headlines. Joining us on the phone line, I'm guessing Raga, you're in Bangalore, unless you are traveling somewhere right now. I'm in Bangalore. So, Raga Malika Kartikyan joins us from Bangalore. Raga is the editor, special projects and experiments at the News Minute. She's been there since 2017. She's a newsroom leader, passionate about a future where gender isn't automatically assumed to be binary. She has over, sorry, he slash she has over 13 years of experience as a media professional. And soon, hopefully, we will be working together and... uh, at least uncles like me will get to learn a lot from raga so welcome raga looking forward to you telling us what's happening in the action-packed state of karnataka
0: thanks Abhinandan.
1: uh now joining us in the studio is manoj mitta hi manoj hi pleasure to meet you again after a very long time Manoj, many of you may already know who he is Uh, I used to read his pieces in the Times of India But other than that, uh, I have also read his book When a Tree Shook Delhi, the 1984 carnage and its aftermath Uh, He is a journalist and author He focuses on law, human rights and public policy He's worked at the Times of India, the Indian Express and India Today he was also the founding director of the Foundation for Media Professionals, which promotes media freedom and works to uphold standards of journalism in India. Digipa tries to do the same and we clearly aren't doing a very good job these days if you go by what, <laughs> what
2: we see. No, no. <laughs> it's a very valiant uh, task. Task, uh, I tell you, it's a, it's <laughs> a tall order. Engaging with. <laughs>
1: um, other than shook Delhi, uh, he has also published the fiction of fact-finding Modi and Godhra, in 2014. Uh, they were both critically acclaimed and I have read at least one of them and I would highly recommend it and his latest book is Cast Pride Battles for Equality in Hindu India Uh, I have not been able to go over the book yet but I went over the first few pages and I'm quite blown away that amount of things that I didn't actually know I don't know how many more such things are there like the kind of laws that were proposed passed, opposed you know tweaked but I'm sure we'll get a lot more about that with Manoj but Um, Manoj, before I get to the headlines, why this book specifically?
2: Well, uh, we all know how much of a role caste continues to play in our society, in our politics, notwithstanding the assumption, a very fashionable one, that uh, caste is receding in the face of modernity. But uh, it keeps uh, taking us by surprise by rearing its head in... uh, Unlikely places like some centers of excellence or uh, uh, from reports suggesting that uh, simply because some low caste person was uh, wearing a fancy watch or carrying a fancy mobile, he is subjected to, you know, absolutely brutal uh, treatment. So, or getting on a horse. Yeah, getting on a horse. I mean, that's a very traditional, uh, you know, conflict point, which persists even in the 21st century. So it shows how much uh, we believe things have changed, but uh, things tend to remain the same too. Now to understand where this is coming from, why our society is still embedded in this prejudice, and why even our institutions betray you know, bias uh, over and over again. I'm saying so because my original intent was actually to focus on uh, mass violence targeting Dalits to complete some kind of a trilogy because my previous books were on 84 and 2002, both of which were about uh, communal violence. And this one was going to be about uh, caste Caste violence. violence. And um, in this instance, there was also a law, which is supposed to be a very strict one uh, in the eyes of some draconian one, that is the Prevention of Atrocities Act. And yet, there is so much of impunity. And it's not a question of just impunity. It's also about uh, how uh, post-independence, there's been... uh, far greater uh, incidence of uh, violence, mass violence targeting Dalits, and this is after we formally abolished untouchability in 1950 through our constitution. So what happened uh, is, and this is not so widely recognized or understood, that uh, there was clearly some kind of a pushback, you know, because of uh, the abolition and uh, the writings and activities of people like uh, Ambedkar, people have become more assertive. They they
1: dug in their heels that we will not budge. Yeah.
2: So there was this kind of a pushback and it crystallized in the form of these incidents. The the first major instance of uh, mass violence targeting Dalits was in 1968 in a place called Kilvenmani in uh, Tamil Nadu. And that really set the template for uh, the violence and for the impunity. There have been many instances after that. So I began with that. And then when I found that this was a pattern, which I see over and over again, to make sense of that, I felt the need to go back to the debates relating to the abolition of untouchability. And even that didn't seem to you know, throw enough light on why it's still persistent. So I went further back into the colonial period, all the way up to two centuries. And um, I mean, I this therefore had to widen the ambit of my book. It was no more about violence. It was about caste prejudice itself. Uh, about its various manifestations and how it's not just untouchables who are affected by it. We all are across the board affected by it in varying forms and degrees. So that became the, the theme. Right. Theme of
1: my book. In fact, the first line tells you that in 1795, the East India Company abolished a death penalty for a particular kind of Brahmin. Let me see. It is the Banaras, Banaras Brahmin. I had yeah. no idea. So, Banaras Brahmin was exempt from the death penalty. Others could be killed. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we will talk more about this. Um, uh, now, Raga, uh, just wanted your inputs. Cause I thought of you when I was listening to the um, uh, proceeding the Supreme Court on, on gay marriage. And I remember you had pointed out that News Laundry had done a report uh, on representation in newsrooms. And while that report was being presented, I think even in the text, the term third gender was used. And you said that's an offensive use of the word and shouldn't be used. I've noticed that in the Supreme Court, even by the counsel who is actually arguing for the you know, same-sex marriage, they are using third gender. Is that like a thing? Is that... I mean... Um, is is there a pres- cuz i know there are certain prescribed terminology for this now in 2023 uh have you been following it and and do you think there are a little um, i mean we are not up to date even the people who are arguing for it on the use of language
0: yeah i mean uh, thanks abhinandan but uh, yes the language around uh, the petitions has been problematic uh, uh from a lot of petitioners lawyers as well Uh, First of all, I'd like to say that it's uh, petitions for marriage equality and not just uh, same-sex marriage or gay marriage. There are a lot of uh, trans persons who are uh, petitioners as well. And uh, we are talking about the entire LGBTQIA plus spectrum of identities here and uh, not just uh, cis gay men. Uh, And uh, in terms of the term uh, third gender, I mean, it implies that there is a first gender and a second gender and perhaps a fourth, fifth sixth seventh i mean there is no hierarchy right like mm. the whole point is self identification uh, which is uh, what is the core of uh, trans identities it is to say that hey this is me right like the entire queer movement uh, depends on self identification if there is no like test there is no medical test to say that you are a trans person or that you're gay or you're lesbian it is self identification And uh, in that, we are saying that, you know, all of us are equal, all human beings are equal. So then where does the question of like, first gender, second gender, third gender even come in? Right? So like, I, uh, uh, I want to ask, like, you know, women, uh, are you very happy being called the second gender? Then are you very happy being put in a second place to uh, men? Uh, So that is uh, extremely offensive, right? Uh, So, Yes, it has been quite uh, uh, triggering watching the uh, proceedings and like, you know, and very amusing also. People coming up with like all sorts of terminology, all sorts of things. Like somebody said there's something called transformed gender or, uh, uh, you know, people coming up with uh, statistics like 99.9%. Huh, uh, yeah, that the bar council people call it the binary. Or... Although I... Yeah, so I've... where are they getting these... Uh, yeah. So where are they getting these statistics from? Like where are people getting these statistics from? And, uh, you know, clearly like people haven't understood what, uh, uh, uh what we call SOGISC, right? Like, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity and expression and uh, sex characteristics. Everybody has that, right? Whether you're a, a cisgender heterosexual man or you're a transgender person, like everybody has a sexual orientation. Everybody has a gender identity. Everybody expresses their gender in a certain way. It's, you know what your hair looks like it's what clothes you wear it what uh, makeup that you want to put up or you know what jewelry that you like to uh, uh, put on and like you know how you express yourself everybody has that every single human being has that and i don't think uh, uh, our lawyers and uh, courts are like sort of uh, getting that Um, it seems to be some kind of like a a competition on who says the most uh, absurd and amusing stuff like transformed gender was a term that somebody used somebody said uh, gender is a manifestation so (laughs) i don't know Mm. i mean is it like uh, the lawyers are uh, seemingly i guess uh, many of them are working for uh, you know a case and uh, haven't really bothered to do their research
1: right so um before i get into the headlines just want to remind you that we do have funds active. One is our NL legal fund. Uh, yet another two IT notices were received by yours truly in the last two weeks. Uh, so we will be going to court yet again. Uh, for that, we need you to continue to support us. So do top up our legal fund. And this is not going to be a short battle. It will be a long one. And from time to time, whenever we need more money, we shall put up the fund again. And the second is the Press Freedom Day Fund. It's a press freedom fund. We want to put together a significant amount of money to commission stories that really explore and investigate and interrogate the media's relationship with its viewers and that come come through profiles on certain bodies, um, on media organizations. It can come through specific stories, profiles of stringers, which you want to do a series of. Uh, how difficult it is life as a stringer in a small town Uh, when you're, you know, supplying stories to large organizations. It's a really tough life. And we hope to also get an international perspective on some of these things and also do some data analysis. It's a longest project which won't take six months to do. So do, in the spirit of Press Freedom Day, uh, contribute to that fund because unless you do, if you did watch the... Conclave that Arnab Goswami hosted, where Prime Minister Modi made a speech and made a joke which started, That is, that I'll translate for our English speakers, that we used to listen to a joke when we were young. There was a professor whose daughter killed herself by suicide. That's how the joke starts. I couldn't even bother with what the punchline was.
3: Uh, that's the Prime Minister of a country. एक प्रोफेसर थे और उनकी बेटी ने आत्महत्या की तो एक चिट छोड़ करके गई कि मैं जिंदगी में थक गई हूँ मैं जीना नहीं चाहती हूँ तो मैं काकरिया तालाब में कूद करके मर जाऊँगी अब सुबह देखा बेटी घर में नहीं है तो पिस्तर में चिट्ठी मिली तो पिताजी को बड़ा गुस्सा आया बोले मैं प्रोफेस <laughs> and uh,
1: of course, Arnab giggled. And if you see the opening slate of that conclave, anyone who's, any company that's any company in India was a sponsor of that conclave. And it was a festival of Arnab outdoing Kalipuri in how much I can kiss the feet of the
3: Prime Minister. This is my Pradhan in ये तीसरा रिपब्लिक समिट है और तीसरी बार आप हमारे बीच आए हैं मेरे लिए इससे बड़ी खुशी क्या हो सकती है प्रधानमंत्री जी पहली बार आप 2018 में मुंबई आए और आपने मेरा हौसला बढ़ाया फिर 2019 में आप दिल्ली के रिपब्लिक समिट में आए और आपने नेशन फर्स्ट का विजन रखा था नेशन फर्स्ट का वि� and my team team.
1: Now if that is the journalism you want, you can leave it to the corporations. But if you want a different kind of journalism that is public interest, you're going to have loosen your pockets a little bit. Uh, our subscription is as low as 300 rupees a month. If you can afford to give more, you can contribute to the Sena. But unless you do that, uh, you can uh, kiss democracy goodbye. That's just how it is. Now for the headlines. Uh, 10 district reserve guards and the driver of a vehicle carrying them were killed in a Maoist attack in Chhattisgarh's Dantewara district on Wednesday. Uh, This act was condemned uniformly across all parties. What was stunning is the silence of legacy media on asking really hard questions about this. Then the top Indian wrestlers returned to Jantar Mantar on Sunday and resumed their protest against Bridge Bhushan Sharan Singh, the president of the Wrestling Federation of India who has been accused of sexual harassment. He also is a BJP MP, a very powerful one. Uh, we shall discuss this in a little bit of detail, but I just, you know, anyone want to, from the panel want to jump in, feel free. What was stark to me was that the Supreme Court had to ask the Delhi police, why haven't you filed an FIR? Uh, the police uh, is still reluctant to. And they say we will do an, a pre, pre-FIR investigation.
4: No, Supreme Court did not ask for the filing the FIR. Supreme Court asked asked? their uh response. The Delhi Police response. So Delhi Police just to preempt it. So they said we are doing the preliminary inquiry, but just to preempt, if Supreme Court says so, we will file an FIR. That's all they. The police is saying it. Supreme Court hasn't reacted to it.
1: And in the same week, an assam an FIR I think has been filed against the youth Congress leader for allegations of sexism, not the allegation is not sexual misconduct mm. or it is the sexism and an affair has been filed over there and I'm just because one of the complainants in this case is a minor so POSCO should kick in automatically they don't have to wait for the Supreme Court but the Delhi police S- is sitting on See, the ass doing seven, jack shit
4: there are 7 people, who, persons who have complained and uh, we still don't know officially who they are hmm. but it is uh, suspected that one of them is minor, minor.
1: So yeah, that's the world of justice we live in. And that's what the news is telling us. In fact, the day th- these two things happened, uh, Times now was telling us the price of Arvind Kejriwal's curtains and kitchen equipment. Uh, all day. Not, not for one story. Through the day. Nothing about the wrestlers. Nothing about uh, the stuff. Anyway.
4: But I think wrestlers are still, uh, you know, pinning a lot of hope on the Prime Minister. So they have sought a meeting with him. Well, so let us see.
1: Then gangster turned politician... Anand Mohan was released from a jail in Bihar on Thursday. Uh, this is days after the Bihar government made amendments to the Bihar prison manual. He served 15 years in jail for abetting the murder of an IS officer in 1994. And in fact, the the murdered officer's wife was on air uh, on Rajdeep's show. I really felt bad for her. I mean, it's it doesn't even raise an eyebrow today. Then the Karnataka election around the corner and there is much noise and fury around it. Campaigning has begun to heat up. Muslim reservations have become a major issue. At a public gallery on Tuesday, Home Minister Amit Shah defended the BJP government's decision to scrap 4% quota for Muslims in the state. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court on Tuesday stayed the Karnataka government's decision to scrap that quota. We even had uh, Yogi Dithinath landing up in Karnataka campaigning. I don't know if anyone that even understands what he's saying because I'm sure language, it's the Hindi, is not the spoken language
3: there. <laughs> धर्म के आधार पर आरक्षण या भारत के संविधान के विपरीत है और संवैधानिक है हमने अनुसूचित जाति जनजाति के आरक्षण के दायरे को बढ़ाया है दिव्यांग जनों के आरक्षण के दायरे को बढ़ाया है अन्य जरूरतमंदों को आरक्षण का दिया है लेकिन धर्म के आधार पर
1: any speeches of Yogi ji in Kannada? Raga, maybe I missed them.
0: I don't think so. And uh, yeah, well, it looks like it's going to happen. <coughs> but Yogi,
4: uh, ha, Yogi spoke uh, of the fact that UP and Karnataka have very close relations because Ram was born in Ayodhya. Hmm. And... Bhakt Hanuman was born in Karnataka. Was he? I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I also came to know only through yogi's <laughs> speech yesterday. Hanuman was Karnataka? <laughs> yeah. Shame! <laughs> I had no clue. At just Madi. So, huh? so yesterday I was listening to his speech uh, in Karnataka. So so he was telling the close oh, relationship between the two states. Yes.
1: So basically the Kannadigas must, <laughs> I'm going to get killed for this by someone or the other, but they must have that kind of a, uh, uh, uh hero worshiping of all people from up i'm guessing that is that is the understanding <laughs> but
4: manoj but another topic for For manoj, manoj <laughs> yes to talk about but
1: uh, raga quickly if you can just tell me uh i saw this interview where mr Bomai, the chief minister of karnataka made uh, um uh, what's his name rahul kamal squirm a little bit
3: so i'm curious to know your views on the issues like Tipu Sultan, Halal, Hijab, which have been in the. You Aap, favorite subject? You have a favorite subject. You have a favorite subject. No, no. You have a favorite Without Hijab and Halal, the interview will not be complete. I had told Nagarjun earlier also. I am sure it is going to come. Anyway, no, any my interview. question is. Okay. How do you say, sir? Sir, how do you India India today, India has a lot of things. You, for you, these are not election issues? Oh, how can it be? See, already it is settled down in the people. Forget me. You tell me whether there is a hijab issue at now. I don't think there is. And then... But many people in your party only raise no, 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 no. They have they have replied then. Nobody is talking. Even uh, the, the people uh, who had filed the case also, now they are keeping quiet. Why uh, India today is raising, I don't know.
1: So, they clearly are distancing themselves from Hindu-Muslim hijab. Then, I'm a little confused. Then is the 4% Muslim quota still a vote-getter if they are clearly trying to distance themselves from a Hindu-Muslim politics? What what am I missing here? Aren't the two statements kind of contradictory?
0: I think it's like, I mean, they've done all the Hindu-Muslim that they have to do, uh, you know, till a few months ago. And uh, just before the election, I think they seem to be keeping away from it a little bit. Uh, But I don't think they've uh, clearly not changed their politics or they've not changed their policies and uh, this uh, whole like you know promise to scrap Muslim quota and everything is speaking to their electorate Uh, that is something that uh, I guess Amit Shah can come in and uh, say and uh, people will still like sort of listen to him and go oh yes this is what uh, we voted for so I guess yeah the local leaders uh, have a little bit of uh, uh, restraint I guess just in the you know, days running up to the elections.
1: Right. So, probably you'll hear statements like this from an Amit Shah or a Yogi, but not from the local leader. Got it.
0: Uh, well, uh, yes, Bumai is not uh, extremely popular, I guess. Uh, but uh, he is hes playing his role, right? Like he's, he's doing his uh, uh, sucking up to the... Uh, sorry, is that the right word? That's use? okay. Sure. Uh, he's is... Uh, <laughs> he's uh, ensuring that he's keeping the uh, BJP high command happy and following their policies. Yad Urapa was not uh, that kind of a chief minister, right? Yad Urapa has his own uh, sort of views. And while it's all, uh, I guess, Hindutva at the end of the day, but uh is not uh, seen as a person who is as um, sort of uh, uh, fundamentalist or... Uh, his politics uh, wasn't
1: know, about his politics, yeah, wasn't about his the hindu politics was not
0: about his uh, politics was not about yeah hindu muslim or uh, anything of that sort uh, and uh, i mean Yadirapa was the guy who's uh, even uh, uh, while he was chief minister he stood up to uh, narendra modi on stage uh, on issues of like federalism and uh, stuff like that right so i mean what Yadirapa will do next is uh, definitely like a very interesting question right like he stepped aside Um, He, uh, uh, you know, has been like sort of towing the line, but uh, we have to remember that he was also the guy who broke away from the BJP started his own party, uh, and then like sort of came back to the BJP and uh, he has definitely shown uh, that he has, uh, you know, great chief ministerial ambitions. So, you know, the question of what is he going to do next is, I think, in Karnataka politics, quite interesting. Um, what was your other question, Abhinandan? Uh
1: About Shiv Kumar, how serious a contender is he? And the Lingayat leader who actually broke away and joined the Congress. Uh, can he break the Lingayat vote? Because from what I see, he's not that important in the Lingayat scheme of things.
0: I I, I really uh, don't know enough to like comment on that. But... Right. Uh, I think uh, the Lingayat vote itself is going to be a deciding factor in the election. And uh, uh, in terms of DKS, uh, D.K. Shivkumar and uh, Sidra Maya, uh, the, uh, the two of them have had like a lot of like uh, internal factional politics. But I think uh, in the run-up to the elections, they have sort of shown a united front and uh, they do seem to be uh, working together rather than against each other.
1: How impo- is, is the importance of caste the same all over now? You know, when you talk about Karnataka, the Lingayat community is so important. Like, you have to have the Lingayats on your side if you want to win the election there. Is that just a numbers thing or are they dominant? And where does this politics actually end? Isn't it, I mean, is there an inevitability? Should we temper our expectations of, of you know, quote-unquote casteless society when, no matter how much anybody tries, when it comes to election time, that's everybody's fallback. No matter how progressive that person or individual or party may want to be.
2: Yeah, I was struck by this report that uh, Lingayats were uh, demanding that uh, BJP uh, should uh, declare a Lingayat as the chief ministerial face Mm. or candidate for this election, right? So, where is this coming from? Uh, The irony you should not uh, overlook Uh, in a community like Lingayats, uh, uh, you know, speaking this kind of language. Uh, why do I find it ironic? Because Lingayat was, to begin with, not supposed to be a caste at all. It was a breakaway from Hindus uh, several centuries ago under uh, the leadership of Basaveshwara who was all about, uh, uh, you know, he was in the, in the mold of somebody like, say, Kabir or Nanak, completely mm-hmm. anti-caste. And um, so uh, somebody who set up this kind of, uh, you could call it a sect. And there are some who even took the view that it is not even a Hindu community, people like Kalburgi or uh, Gauri Lankesh, you know. So even if you don't take that view, it was clearly something which was w- w- very progressive in its uh, outlook, in its history. And today it's no different from any uh, other uh, caste. And they also engage in these kind of uh, political bargaining and all that. And they're a huge community. Uh, In uh, Karnataka, they play a very decisive role in their elections. Mm -hmm. And they are there in uh, Maharashtra and uh, Telangana too, to some extent. But yes. uh,
1: But but when you say it was a breakaway from Hinduism, the religion, Hmm. then are you suggesting at least at some point in history, it was like a Buddhism or, or Sikhism, which was not even within the Hindu fold, although the RSS still insists Sikhs are Hindus. Uh, But Sikhs clearly don't think so. Uh, Was Lingayat community in uh, that zone or it was always ambiguous?
2: See, I'm not so much on the question whether they should be considered uh, to be Mm non-Hindus. But I'm pointing out the fact that if somebody is to be treated as Hindus, then even in this day and age, you absolutely take it for granted that they would have to have a caste. So therefore, by default, Lingayats themselves become a caste. You know, mm. because you cannot conceive of a Hindu without a caste. Right. So that's the aspect yeah. that shows how we pretend to be very modern, but in a very fundamental sense, we are still stuck in that old mode of thinking. So what is happening now is, it's it's we are very uncomfortable about uh, acknowledging that these OBCs, who constitute, again, not the entire lot of uh, Shudras, Shudras, again, are, as I said, they are a huge category, right? They are so huge and so heterogeneous uh, that you have certain Shudra communities that are actually called uh, intermediate castes, like uh, Jats or Marathas mm-hmm. or Lingayats or Vakaligas. They are dominant castes, but they are not uh, uh, Brahmins or uh, Kshatriyas or Vaishyas. They, will still they are finish. part of the vast farming community and all and, that. And what right? we
1: refer to as Dalits outside that Varna system.
2: Yeah, no, but before we come to Dalits, there's this huge category which is what uh, uh, the uh, government is uncomfortable to acknowledge, their numbers. The data is not about Dalits. The data is not about Adivasis. Their data was always collected right from the time of independence whenever any census was held you collected data relating to uh, scheduled caste and scheduled tribes. Why did you do so? Because you were providing affirmative action. There were so reservations then, for them. So, you had to know how so the point are. that was being made about OBCs is, since 1990, you have been extending reservations to these the OBC community as well. So should you not, by the same logic, be collecting data pertaining to OBCs also? So The anomaly is, they are refusing to uh, collect any data relating to OBCs because that will be politically uh, very sensitive. It will show that the vast majority of Hindu community are Shudras and especially OBCs. You know, uh, uh, Shudras, con- uh, Shudras constitute these intermediate castes yeah, like and that. these OBCs. So it will
1: okay. be too large
2: a number to justify
1: the very... Insignificant in relative terms. Uh, no, it, it, reservation it, it, it's they not just
2: about reservations. Then it will also mean that you will have to accommodate them in political mm, positions, uh, also right. in uh, your election, MLA, same It could
1: change everybody's politics in a significant way. Yeah. Uh, so, Raga, you had actually come up with a uh, template, uh, uh, what was it, wh- about language usage in courts, right? Can you tell us a bit about that?
0: Right. So it's uh, not about courts, but uh, media specifically. Uh, So uh, the News Minute and uh, Queer Chennai Chronicles, uh, we've been working on a media reference guide uh, for how to sensitively report on uh, LGBTQIA plus issues and individuals. And uh, while we were working on this and we had planned like a glossary and like uh, it's a 20 chapter book that uh, is going to come out soon. But uh, when we started in 2021, this was happening parallelly to the Madras High Court uh, Sort of, uh, uh, you know, they were uh, giving a lot of uh, directives, uh, Justice Anand Venkatesh, uh, on the back of uh, a a case of a lesbian couple, uh, the Sushma case. Uh, And uh, in that case, they had told the Tamil Nadu government that, you know, they need to come up with uh, terms uh, that are dignified for uh, queer communities in Tamil. So since we were working on a media reference guide and uh, glossary in English and Tamil, And uh, QCC, our partner, has been uh, like at the forefront of that conversation. So we decided to send our glossary along with other uh, members of the community. Um, You know, a lot of people worked on it and we uh, sent it. uh, And uh, the court sort of accepted that and said that, you know, this is better. The community glossary uh, that was led by TNM and QCC uh, is better than the glossary that the Tamil Nadu government had submitted. And uh, based on that, uh, the TN government then uh, did like a Uh, their own consultation and uh, sort of they have published a a glossary in their gazette and that's like about uh, 90% I think what we had submitted and uh, now uh, it's been exciting to sort of uh, see that uh, one of the petitioners um, uh, represented by Vrinda Grover also gave that uh, glossary to the Supreme Court uh, in the marriage equality uh, hearing. I see that's how Um, the court
1: actually came upon it. Yes. I see. I just want to view, do you follow American uh, politics and news very closely? Because this uh, has become such a huge issue. Yes. Like, I mean, the whole criticism of many of those on the liberal side, uh, but critical of the liberal side, is that you are making the culture wars an election issue uh, to such an extent that you are losing some of the people in the middle. Because you are expecting people to change very quickly from knowing the world as male and female to a complexity which middle America doesn't understand. And they're not necessarily, you know, Trump voting Republicans or MAGA activists. I mean, I know a lot of liberals don't like him, but I really like Bill Ma because I think he says it like it is, you know, he calls it any side out. And um, I
0: think, uh, I mean, I just like stop you there because I think it's really ridiculous to uh, sort of say that, uh, you know, identities and communities that have existed like uh, since the beginning of time are uh, somehow new or, uh, you know, unknown or whatever. Trans people have always existed. No, of course. And, uh, of course, the American debate was American, uh, UK debates, and uh, the Indian debates. Indian uh, sort of bigots uh, trying to, uh, I don't know, copy uh, the American and uh, UK formats. It's really ridiculous that uh, you know you see trans women on the streets. You know how difficult life is for them. And no, then you no, it's still not. It's like not about existing,
1: whole... Raga. They're two different things. You see. One is when so it becomes... It's
0: about existing and having rights.
1: Yeah, but right? no, just hear me out. No, just listen okay. to what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when it becomes a political issue in a culture war, what has triggered the culture war in America to the extent it is right now? It is about high school students being made aware of certain issues, which I personally, I don't think I'm a bigot or... But I think if if I had a child, I don't. But if I had a child who was like five or six years old, I would say that, I mean... That person doesn't have to get into these issues. Teach him ABCD, red, blue, green. You know the overemphasis on things that are a little more complex. Just like sex education, it came into my life when I was twelve or thirteen. It, I wasn't taught it when I was six or five. So I think making it what makes it a political issue is not whether they exist or don't exist. I think a political issue is when it becomes a part of the culture or in the mainstream media, which when one digs its one's heels in, which is when you know, one side, like, kind of leverages that in in destructive ways. That's the point I'm making. I'm not saying that they've never existed. I that's a very
0: wrong reading of what's happening, Abhinandan, because mm-hmm. uh, what is the truth is that uh, very young children sometimes and... Uh, Again, like self-identification happens at different ages for different people. But very young children understand like, you know, their own concepts of gender. Like, you know, they can sort of say that I feel like a boy or I feel like a girl. And that is not, nobody is like sort of uh, uh, doing surgeries except for bigots, again, Hmm. uh, who, you know, perform like corrective surgeries, so-called on intersex children, uh, deciding their uh, sex and gender for them. Other than that, nobody is performing Sorry, uh, well, surgeries or giving hormones to children, right? Like that young.
1: So, Manoj, coming back to caste pride. Uh, the From what I've read, the little blurb, you have focused a lot on the legislation, law, policy around caste and how that evolved or mutated over time. Yeah. Do you think from all the reading you've done, there is an inevitability to us having to live with this for a while more as a serious political fishers and solving for and I'm not saying it's been solved for and done and dusted in America but solving for racial injustice is a lot simpler than solving for caste injustice purely because what is true for one state may not be true for another
2: I'm I'm glad you put it the way you did because my book was inspired by what I discovered in US in the course of a fellowship I was doing there for in connection you know in connection with this very book Which is that, you know, if I attempted um, a similar book on, say, the interface of uh, law and uh, race, I would have struggled to find anything substantially new to write on because that aspect has been so thoroughly researched that it is, forget about universities, it is there in their school textbooks also. They have a clear idea in, in their school textbooks, they convey to students. The trajectory of that great, you know, democracy's evolution in their understanding. You know, there was the Dred Scott case relating to, you know, transfer of a slave from one state to another. This was before Emancipation Proclamation of Lincoln and how after, uh, you know, the 13th Amendment, uh, abolition of uh, slavery, then there was a pushback in the form of uh, segregation laws from southern states And how in 1893, U.S. Supreme Court ended up uh, with a judgment that upheld those segregation laws saying that so long as there is uh, equality, separation is all right. Separate but equal doctrine that Mm. they came up with. Now they took, the U.S. took another four or five decades to uh, understand, to realize that what is separate is inherently unequal. So all this is known to them. And then they go on to read about civil rights laws in the time of Kennedy, Johnson, you know, Martin Luther King, all that is there in their school textbooks, you Mm. know. It's, I mean, they have a clear idea about this as what I call the interface of law and race. Now, when it comes to interface of law and caste, the situation is just the opposite.
1: All of you listening in, the Chota Hafta, do subscribe so you can listen to the entire Hafta. We will see you again next week with the Haftar Till then, subscribe, pay to keep news free because when the public pays, the public is served and advertisers pay. Advertisers are served. Thank you. Goodbye.
0: All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform.
1: Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram